The Y Curve with Phil Dobby and Roger Hearing. So, politics, back to normal. But what sort of normal? A Tory Prime Minister who got in without the backing of most of her MPs and facing the biggest economic crisis for a generation and maybe just 18 months away from an election. The perfect moment then for Labour, riding high in the polls with a good chance of pulling back the first-time Tory voters in the Red Wall, now disillusioned and hungry for change. You might see it as an open goal. But the party holding its conference in Liverpool this weekend is not so confident. Keir Starmer doesn't have anything like charisma. Many in the party still hanker for Jeremy Corbyn. And can you name a Labour policy? So, can Labour do it in 2024? Can the party that saw its worst defeat in 84 years last time pull it around and return to power? Is the Corbyn legacy buried? That's our question today. The why? Curve. Well, tell you what, Roger, if uh, Labour doesn't win uh, this next election, you've got to wonder what's going wrong. Because, I mean, it, it is it does, as we just said, it seems like an open goal. And I don't have an enormous amount of confidence that Liz Truss will be seen as the best prime minister we've ever had. Well, the problem is if you can be enthusiastic about the alternative because mm. because Keir Starmer is many things yeah. but he isn't charismatic he's yeah. not someone who raise the flag and, and lead you over the barriers and you know yeah. it, it's just not going to happen mm. so if it's a kind of least worst scenario that might work yeah. but what Labour have got to do is roll back as I say the worst defeat in 84 years that is a lot of victories but it's going to be interesting isn't it to see how they both perform in uh, in question time over over coming weeks because he does have that interrogative fashion uh, which, of course, Boris could just bluster over. Mm. Uh, she could just crumble uh, under that. She sort of might. She might. But the and, other. But don't forget, it's it's a man interrogating a woman. And we saw mm, in the leadership election, yeah. Rishi Sunak talking over yeah, yeah. Liz Truss was not a good look. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Interesting point. Interesting point. So, uh, I, I, how much of it is personality? Then is that is is that where we are? Or how much of it is policy? Well, where is the personality? That's the problem. <laughs> the biggest the biggest personality in politics for many years has been hustled away for all sorts of nefarious activities. Mm. I, I think the problem they've got is trying to pull in a sense of mission, uh, 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 of doing something, of, yeah. of changing something. Something that Blair had in 19... Yeah, well, 19- I mean, that is, that's the obvious question, isn't it? How do they get back to what they had with Blair, which was a refreshing time, wasn't it? Uh, you know, that this was... Uh, Britain was changing under Blair, it, feels, it felt like, more so than it was... Cool under, Britannia. All of that stuff that was... Uh, and, and, you know, we were a part of Europe as well. You know, it was... Uh, they were good times. Now we've got this very bitter... Britain, this very divisive Britain, which you can't help feeling has been driven by politics. But the other thing is, it's all been driven by economics, because the position mm-hmm. we're in is the worst economic crisis of this generation. Yeah. That's how it's being yeah. put out there. But the- Liz, Liz who handles it? Liz is going to sort all that out. Don't, well, don't, don't you worry about that. I mean, there's no problem at all. Inflation's going to go down. I mean, OK, yes. it's going to cost billions. Yes, and the bankers uh, are going to get their bonuses back up yeah, as well. They are. That's right. And, I mean, that's and going to go down well. And workers are going to be able to... afford to eat. Workers are going to be able to work longer as well, without breaks. You, you know, we're going to get rid of oh, all those, oh, those nasty EU yes. regulations that were protecting Ridiculous. workers and, and getting them to stop. So, yeah, I mean, when you look at that, I mean, the... the 
the, the Tory party is going further and further, lurching more to the right. So right. all they and need Labour, to do is hold the middle ground, surely. Yeah, but there are still many people within Labour who were there during mm. the Corbyn years who still, if they are still supporting Labour, are still Corbynites, Corbynistas, whatever you want to call them. Despite the fact Jeremy Corbyn himself is not a Labour MP. He's an independent MP. Right. So there's a lot of bad blood in there. And traditionally, but, Labour tears itself apart in front of an open government. But goal. what went wrong with Jeremy Corbyn? Because you look at some of his policies, he wanted to nationalise the railways. Well, that has more or less happened. He wanted to uh, nationalise utilities, and everyone's looking at where we are with energy now and thinking, well, that wouldn't be a bad idea either. He was looking at green energy and meeting our emissions targets. He was against fracking, which I think most people, when it's forced upon them, would say, yes, we, we want that too. He talked about levelling up. I don't know whether he coined the phrase levelling up and the, the Tories stole it, but he was, you know, all of the, everything he was proposing, there wasn't anything that was that extreme. It was just that he looked a bit dowdy. He was on a bike and wore corduroy. He wasn't the right no, 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 no. He was, I mean, his policies, when, when, you know, yes, those were the policies that came out of it, but the background, the philosophy was not one mm. that most people trusted. And he appeal to the young and who doesn't vote the yeah. young yeah yeah you know it, it, the, the whole idea was wrong you've got someone that's but where was the more extreme stuff beyond what i just said what oh. was the more extreme stuff that he was calling for if you look into some it was one of those they were clever enough not to put out what they really potentially wanted to do including potentially the abolition of the monarchy i mean that's mm. in the background there too mm. they were clever enough to do that but actually, in terms of what they really intended to do, I think you, you had to look an awful lot deeper. And what they put out in their manifesto, as you say, perhaps not uh, as extreme as it might have been, but people didn't vote for them. Why? Hmm. Yeah, well, I think because Boris Johnson came along. I mean, it was, well, it was a bit more than that. Yeah, but I mean, it was. But I think also it was just people look at a, a, a and potential they were prime over Brexit. I mean, they uh, yeah, well, Brexit absolutely. Ways. I mean, Brexit was a big chunk of it, and uh, you know, it's an interesting. We can we can delve into that as well today. But I think there's a big chunk of. Uh, you know, you look at how somebody presents themselves and say, can you see them on a world stage? Like, you know, could we see Michael Foote? Uh, you know, on a, on well, a, now a, you're going back <laughs> into prehistory, my God. <laughs> but it's the same Archaeology, sort of, that is. <laughs> yeah, that is really. But, you know, can, but can we see, Jer could we see Jeremy Corbyn on a world stage? You well, know, it's, can you see uh, Pierre Keir Starmer on a world stage? You probably can, yes, because he wouldn't stand out, would he? No, well, but he'd also... Mildly be, less embarrassing than Liz Truss, potentially. He would be less embarrassing than Liz Truss. I mean, that's the point, isn't Gosh, it? Gosh, and if that's the only thing that Labour can say is a way of getting us to vote for them. Well, it's a slogan there. What on <laughs> earth does that say about us? Well, it says we haven't really got a great deal of choice, doesn't it, I think? So David Cogan's <laughs> written the, the book Protest and Power History of the Labour Party uh, up to uh, recent-ish times uh, and joins us now. David, thanks for being with us. Um, I, the, the central question, I suppose, is can Labour win in the next election? What are the prospects? Hi, Roger. Well, I think this conference is going to start answering that question because, of course, uh, there are great opportunities now with a brand new Conservative government with policies that look as though they're going to be, at the very least, quite tricky. Um, and Labour at the moment has a decent lead in the polls. So you would think they, they stand a reasonably good chance. However, um, I think this particular Labour leadership always uh, is accused of lacking in sort of strategic policy. And the moment now for Keir Starmer and his front bench team to really frame the argument against a brand new government is an opportunity, but it's also a risk. And um, can they win? It's a huge mountain to climb to get a parliamentary majority, uh, but they certainly stand a better opportunity now than probably they did a year ago 
when we forget that Keir Starmer's leadership was actually under quite a lot of pressure, which it's not anymore. So I'm looking at the uh, the latest YouGov Times voting intention survey, and it is. It's about 10, 10 points ahead, isn't it? Uh, Tories on 32%. Which is a lot more than they've had, I mean, in recent well, times. Well, so they've actually been at 5 to 10 points quite a bit of this year. But if we look at uh, the last election, I mean, the Tories were on 49%. Labour's on 42 now. They were 20 points ahead of Labour. So that's quite a big divide. So, uh, uh, but I mean, but 20 points to lead to a massive disappointment. Uh, so, you know, it's, it's such a big downfall. Does that sort of help towards a, a, a Labour victory this time? The fact that people's hopes had been pushed so high and they've been so disappointed. So even though we might think that Keir Starmer perhaps lacks a bit of charisma, uh, maybe the disappointment factor in the Tories will, will play in their favour. The fact that people were, uh, have come down so far from the Tories, that in 2019 we saw such a push to Boris and the feeling now, well, I mean, Liz Truss is not exactly hugely popular amongst her own MPs, let alone uh, the wider well, electorate. Well I, think, well, I think there are a number of things about that. First of all, obviously, 2019, you had the two factors of a resurgent uh, Boris Johnson, a resurgent Conservative Party, where it looked as though Johnson and the people around him were going to get Brexit done, whatever the hell that meant. But he did sort of show that he had a new vision. And you had Jeremy Corbyn. And Jeremy Corbyn was unquestionably a vote loser rather than anything else. So you had the Conservatives with a double advantage. Um, I think now, um, you know, the situation is entirely unknown for the Conservatives. I mean, if you look at the Conservative Party rather than Labour for a moment, you have what is clearly going to be a, an economic policy based on tax cuts, massive levels of public borrowing, massive levels of interest rate rise. And you have to be my age, and I, I'm 65, to remember inflation and interest rates at the levels they're about to be at. And I don't think necessarily people have quite understood the impact that's going to have on the average 30 or 40 year olds who've got short term mortgages. So there are a lot of lot of issues about this new government, but new governments get a bounce and they also get a honeymoon period. And Liz Truss, in my view, is not quite as an easy a target as people necessarily think she is. She's a different sort of target to Boris Johnson, who, though he had strong campaigning credentials, also had very great weaknesses. Liz Truss actually is quite unknown. And although they've already started by giving Labour a couple of gifts, if they do take the cap off bankers' bonuses, that's a huge political gift to Labour. The fact that the EU has now decided to tax with an extra tax on energy companies and the Conservative government in Britain hasn't done that, that's another great potential powerful point for Labour. Yeah. But actually, Rachel Reeves and Keir Starmer now need to take the attack to the Conservatives and prove that Labour is capable of being a government in waiting. But it almost it almost feels like they're on a suicide mission in the Tory party at the moment, because, I mean, you know, in amongst everything else you've described, and they're also saying, well, you know, we want to remove some of those EU limitations on, on workers' rights in terms of, you know, how many hours a week you can work, how long you, you, you can work before you, you're able to have a break. I mean, all that sort of stuff. On the one side, you're saying, well, OK, let's make the bankers richer. Uh, on the, on the other side, let's make uh, you know the, the low income households work that much harder. Well, well, it all stacks up, as Phil says there. But 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 David, the problem is, as you know from the, being a Labour Party historian, when there's a nice open goal and the ball carefully placed and someone running up to kick it, that's the moment where the team that's going to win actually starts disputing amongst each other and have a fight. I mean, it doesn't Labour doesn't have a good history of of taking open mm. goals. 
No, I, I, I think so I'm so. Just to be clear, I'm not saying I think this is a slam dunk for Labour at all. In fact, I think I think the jury is out. We don't know what Liz, Liz Truss's government's going to be. I mean, for the first week of her government, they've had to suspend quite a lot of their activity because of the the death of the Queen. And so, in six months' time, Liz Truss's government might well be in trouble. But equally, the short-term gains they make put through, for instance, on energy bills, may give them political advantage. And you're right, Roger. Um, actually, I think that Neil Kinnock said to me on one occasion, there are two battles a Labour leader always has to win. One is the internal battle within the Labour Party, and one is winning over the electorate. Actually, I think Keir Starmer's won that first battle. I, I, I mean, if you look at the way conference is being managed next week, it's very tightly managed. The leadership's got complete control. Um, I don't think there's going to be much dissension in the ranks. The question is whether Keir Starmer and his front bench team have enough verve, enough policy enough radicalism mm. to really look as though they're going to be a government that's going to do things differently. And actually, that's exactly what all successful Labour leaders who became prime ministers in the past have had. They were all pretty radical. Keir Starmer to date has been anything but radical. Yeah. And I think what we are waiting for is this sense of vision that has really been lacking because he's been depending on Boris Johnson being chaotic and Labour appearing managerial, and that simply isn't enough. Yeah, and but of course they were also pulled apart, weren't they, by Brexit? So it was, uh, and yet you know, you you look at uh, again looking at those voting intentions of those people who intend to vote Labour. Fifty five percent voted Remain in two thousand and sixteen. Only twenty five percent voted Leave. But they're as a party, they haven't got the balls to say actually we think uh, Brexit was a bad idea and we need to backtrack somehow and try and get some of the benefits that we've lost. If that was a policy issue, that at least that would be a direction. But Brexit seems to have pulled apart politics on, on both sides, but particularly for the Labour Party, because they well, don't want to upset people. The, the policy advice, the chief policy advisor to Keir Starmer, Deborah Masson, is very much of the view that, um, you know, you have to appeal to Red Wall voters who voted Tory rather than Labour because of Brexit. Now, there is a huge amount of disagreement with that within the Labour Party. Mm. I personally disagree with that, I think. And Starmer and indeed um, David Lammy, as foreign affairs spokesman, have both indicated that they wouldn't, you know, reintroduce free movement. They wouldn't necessarily try and get back into the single market. Within the Labour Party, there's a very strong body of opinion that think that's wrong. But equally, what everybody's looking at is what wins you this next election. Or indeed, even if you don't win it, what gets you into the position of being a minority government. And so... Playing it safe on Brexit is the, very much the mantra at the moment. Don't go there. What you need to focus on is the economy, the economy, and the economy, because that appears to be, ironically, the Conservatives' weakest place at the moment. No, but aren't, aren't, the two, aren't, aren't the two interlinked, though, Brexit and the economy? So I, you I, believe, I believe they are, but I don't think the Labour leadership want to attach those two issues at all. Yeah, because, because if you start fighting over Brexit internally in the Labour Party, and as you say, there is a, a constituency that does want to follow a, a kind of Remain agenda, that is the absolute box office poison at the voting booth. Yeah, but if you, don't, if you don't tackle it, then you've, you've got a party where, where it's, the, you know, it's the elephant in the room, which will, which will pull the party apart anyway. Well, it's a better elephant in the room when you're in government than it is when you're in opposition. So I think what they probably to use to use that metaphor, I think probably what they want to do is keep the elephant in its cage and then if they win, it may well be that they then make overtures to Europe. Because of course, part of the point about Europe, if you want to talk about that for a moment, is mm. that you don't have to 
necessarily couch it in language that says the single market or free movement. Any future government, Conservative or Labour, that wants to have a relationship with uh, with Europe is going to find compromises. I mean, it'd be interesting to see what Liz Truss does about the Northern Ireland Protocol. There are already indications that her position on this is not quite as strident as it might have appeared when she was trying to get the votes of Tory members. Europe is always a nuanced political issue. It's certainly a nuanced political issue within the Labour Party. But what I don't think you're going to see in the next two years before a general election is Starmer changing his position on this. What they really want to do is sort of say, it's happened, we're moving on, and focus on what they think are the Conservatives' vulnerabilities. And, of course, those vulnerabilities are the NHS, they're the economy, and those are exactly the vulnerabilities that the Conservatives themselves well, are now trying to focus let, on as well. Let's jump onto one of those, the economy, because I think that that, that is crucial. And uh, in my introduction to this, I was saying, can anyone name a Labour policy? Now, I suppose the only one people could probably say is the idea of freezing uh, the, uh, the, the, the the price of fuel or, the, or people, what people pay out in terms of energy costs. And mm-hmm. to some extent, that has been borrowed, of course, by the Tories. But apart from that, the perception of Labour of having alternative policies... Stronger together, Roger. Well, stronger it's together, just stronger not for, very visible, is it? Stronger well, for jobs, for, stronger stronger for family first, stronger for a green and digital future. Yeah, but in future. concrete terms, what is that? Yeah, I don't know. Yeah. Well, here's the thing. I think, I think, I mean, if you talk to Labour Party sort of officials, they will tell you there are hundreds of policies. And when I say, well, I think I'd be pretty well versed in them if they existed... And I can't think of Labour's strategic policy on education, health, or indeed on transport, let alone on the economy. They all look at me and think, you know, you have me listening. Well, I, I don't think they've been espousing those policies. I think that's why this conference and, and next year's conference are going to be critical. That Rachel Reeves, the shadow chancellor, has an opportunity to take the battle to quasi Kwarteng in quite a major and effective way. She's becoming an ever more effective politician. But Labour has ultimately going to have to talk about its attitude on tax and spend. Mm. It's going to have to talk about its attitude on, on, on all sorts of issues to do with inflation. And, um, and it's actually going to have to look at public debt. Now, um, has it done that so far? It has not. On the other hand, you've now got a new government coming in, which is about to wrap up the rules under which even Boris Johnson's government was operating. So actually, you could argue that Labour's actually been quite smart in not putting itself on the record because it's now facing a different fight. Um, But certainly within the next year, it's absolutely got to if it's going to frame an electoral winning strategy. And where is it going to position that? Because that's the key. If you've got a government that is saying, however, uh, incredibly, uh, we will spend a lot, we will also tax very little, um, you you kind of wonder where Labour can position itself to to counter that. Well, I agree. I mean, I think think actually, you know, it's going to be quite, we'll know quite soon how sustainable current government policy is and things like public debt and indeed interest rates uh, and indeed inflation. I, I personally think Labour's going to have to announce a, ta- a taxation policy. I think it's going to have to actually argue there's got to be degrees of redistribution. I think the figures of poverty, um, fuel poverty, food poverty, all of these things are going to start becoming much, much, much more real as political issues. Again, going, you know, it almost feels like we're back in the 70s all over again. Yeah. And, and I think I think Labour is actually going to have to come up with something that is much more of a sort of classic economic strategy in terms of government spending and in terms of redistribution than they've hitherto shown any signs of wanting to do. 
what we've got um, what we've got now though which we didn't have in the in the 70s is we've got a scapegoat with the bank of england so the government the the, the tory government can actually say oh well you know inflation that's actually the bank of england's job yeah they may not be doing a very good job and Liz Truss has already positioned on that and said they should have gone earlier with interest rate rises and we need to look at the mandate for the for, for the bank of england not, you know so she's already gone on the attack there as if to say look anything that goes wrong it's all their fault so you know they, they, yeah, they've been playing a clever game on this even before she got into power think- but I, but again, you know, maybe I'm showing my age. I think it's actually quite a dangerous thing for any government or any political party to argue in favour of much higher interest rates. Mm. I mean, I mean, Black Wednesday killed off John Major's government um, in September 1992, and I remember well that day when interest rates went from 10 to 12 to 15 percent. As, as someone who had two small children and a brand new mortgage, as I did, I mean, it destroyed John Major's government. And actually, I think to blame. The um, to blame the Bank of England for acting too slowly on interest rate rises uh, it, it means that you're essentially arguing for interest rate rises, and I don't think any government is going to want to argue that position mm. because it's going to be a massive backlash from exactly the people they want to have vote for them. But yeah. what, what are we going to hear from Labour on this? Do you suspect because they're going to have to say something at the conference? Well, they've already said wind, you know talked about a windfall tax. So but, there's, there's, but that's there's, the there's, only thing. But that is a, that's a clear divide, though, isn't it? Because I mean, it, it, in my mind, uh, the, the the mistakes that they're making on on the Tory side is that they 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 had not talked about a windfall tax, but also they've talked about subsidising everybody. So there's no reason for high energy users to change their behaviour, which means consumption is not going to change, which means prices are just going to rise yeah. and inflation is going to continue to rise upwards because of energy costs, irrespective of the amount of money that the government is putting into so, it. So what is Labour going to say, do you think? Dave? I, well, I, 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 I suspect that Labour won't actually say very much, which is the direct question you're asking me yeah. at this particular conference. I think they're going to bide their time. And I can see, as I said, I can see the logic as to why they would do that given it's a brand new government but i think a year from now if the election isn't until 24 they've absolutely got to start putting their nailing their colors to the mask and my own view is that's going to have to involve a change in taxation policy it's going to actually have to involve various forms of raised taxes because by that point government debt is going to be so high and because inflation is going to be out of control they're going to have to do something to tackle it and particularly if they're also mounting an argument in form of you know social redistribution and trying to tackle levels of deprivation that by then are going to be very high in this country. So I suspect you're going to see Labour going back to a relatively classic formulation of higher taxes and higher spend. Which sounds but, rather Corbynist on the surface. Well, it's, you could argue it's, it's in Brownist, mm. actually. I mean, mm. I mean, it's the traditional Labour means of dealing with the economy. I mean, you know better than me, I mean, being a Bloomberg, there are actually that, there aren't that many levers um, within the economy that move away from the norm. Um, mm. You know, there's a classic Keynesian sort of levers, but also you have, I mean, what you have now is a remarkably unthatterite conservative government that is basically changing all the mechanisms by which government was controlling but spending. Doesn't that make doesn't that make it hard for Labour to move at all? Because uh, you know as you, they can say, well, okay, I tell you what, we're going to spend more. We're going to push tax up a little bit for for, for the very wealthy, but we are also we're going to have to spend our way out of these problems. So therefore, we're going to have to add to the uh, to government debt. Uh, at a time when government debt is at you know record levels, I mean, well, I think, I think, and I, but I think the problem with that, Phil, is that you know we don't know what government debt's going to be in a year and a half from now because if it's another 150 billion yeah. on uh, energy prices or energy or energy costs, which is cent- I understand is what the government is pledging to spend, and then add tax cuts on top of that, so there's that's even 30 billion yeah. of tax cuts on top of that. 
the idea that you simply change the the normal rule, treasury rules, um, and therefore somehow the magic, the money magically happens. I mean, just like what's happened to the pound in the last two or three weeks. Yeah. You know, I mean, I mean, the cost of government debt is going to rise. So the truth is this: whereas a lot of people in facing Corbyn, uh, in fact, sorry, in facing Boris Johnson, were arguing Labour was being too conservative about announcing policy ironically, or at least too withdrawn from Nazi policy. Actually, the argument that now you sit and wait and see just how well or badly the new government's economic plans go, the idea that you actually wait and bide your time is not necessarily such a bad strategy. Because if it does go, if you have a very bad winter, by the way, the thing you haven't mentioned as well is a whole attitude, you know, to strikes. If you'll get more and more public sector strikes... Um, that's going to have an enormous impact on government policy. But also, it puts Labour into a very interesting position, a difficult position, in terms of its relationship. Well, I was going to mention that because that obviously pays into a whole thing about whether Corbynism is entirely dead within the Labour Party, because some of the some MPs who, who feel naturally they should be on the picket lines often come from that wing, and, and there has been trouble, uh, as you know, uh, about yeah. that. Isn't that going to be potentially a real problem for Labour over this winter? Well, actually, I don't actually I don't think that's the problem. I mean, I think, frankly, the lot the odd Labour MP going. I mean, I mean, going on um, going on a picket line is is actually something that the leadership sort of reacted to, and I would argue probably overreacted mm. to because it turned out to be not very many of them. I don't think that's the problem. I think the problem is this: you now have a new generation of union general secretaries who are much less involved in the internal politics of the Labour Party, and actually are looking at you know, how they try and build their unions up by direct action. It's a much more radicalised generation of union leaders. And they are going to go on strike repeatedly. I mean, the post office, uh, the rail unions, potentially teachers. We've now seen even barristers going on strike over legal action. And health unions too. And health unions. So the question is not really, from Starmer's point of view, what happens within 200 or so Labour MPs. I mean, that's manageable. The real question is, what do the public think about the the unions going on strike? This takes us back to 1978 and the winter of discontent. But, of course, the big difference between 1978 and now is it's a Conservative government that's in power, not a Labour government that's in power. Now, does that work to Labour's advantage or does it work massively to Labour's advantage? It is very different, isn't it? Because now everyone is looking and saying, I I think, I mean, you know, I'm not reading the whole population, but the people I talk to, there's a lot of support for for this strike action because people are saying, well, prices are going up so much. These people are not earning enough. Why shouldn't they keep pace uh, with inflation you know and very often you know we've had offers of eight percent over two years when inflation's running at ten percent you know is likely to be at least five or six percent next year so eight percent over two years doesn't seem like a very good offer so you can sort of empathize with people who are are striking so i think public support is behind the strikers more than they were back then when they were seen as uh you know ruining the productivity of the country so labor getting behind that's why i thought it was curious when uh, you know the the people who had been on picket lines were reprimanded for i would have thought this should be part of the the new labor approach well okay so first of i mean i mean there's a there's quite a lot to unpick in that but so mm. let's just look at the history of it first of all every labor leader facing a general election loves to take on the unions to show that they are not um, beholden to the unions and new labor certainly had that attitude and if you talk to the union general secretaries in the time of new labor which i did for the book i mean their view was they were treated with total contempt by both uh, gordon brown and tony blair uh, but and that worked very much to tony blair's advantage in some ways because it looked like he new labor was actually different from old labor that was the whole point of it um 
And the same is true with Harold Wilson. Harold Wilson faced incredible union disruption and, and tried to solve it within place of strife in, in 1969, and, and it got killed off by the unions. So, uh, actually, Labour doesn't always win support by supporting trade union action. But now, it's actually, one of the things that's quite different is this country is not really used to trade union action. It, it's 20 years, mm. or maybe longer, since there were wide-scale strikes in this country. So there are generations of people who've grown up without really understanding them, which is why they now support them. The question is, are they going to go on supporting them if they go on for the next six months? Are they going to go on supporting them when they start affecting people in the winter, or where they can't get to work, or whether they're in the health service, or, or their teachers are on strike? And sooner or later, I absolutely guarantee someone will get the blame. Now, the question is, will it be the, the government getting the blame? Will it be the unions getting the blame? Or will it be Labour somehow, if the unions get the blame, being sort of caught up in the same political attack? But, but isn't that likely to happen more if there are still people of the old Corbynite wing, if you like, in Labour who will publicly support uh, the strike action and indeed politicise yeah. it? Yeah, but, you know, frankly, Roger, you know, I, I, I know that wing of the party quite well, mm. and actually, to be honest with you, uh, if you look at, you know, what's happened at conference this year, for instance, and the, they've all been completely quashed. So Corbynism is dead, do you think, effectively within the Labour Party? No, I, th I think it's just like, I mean, I did, I, as you know, I wrote a book on this very subject about when the left was, act, was supreme in the late 70s and early 80s and then went dormant for 50 years and then came back again. Uh, it's never dead, it's, but it, it's probably dormant. I think Jeremy Corbyn is, is, is over, but I do think there will be, you know, new generations of people coming up. But at the moment, there, there is much more focus, actually, on winning the next election, or if not winning the next election, making sure there's a leader after it who can, is capable of winning. But you made the point earlier that, you know, are they radical enough? Are they just sitting in that middle ground? So if you look at what uh, Corbyn, some of the things Corbyn was uh, was talking about, we talked about this before we, we introduced you, I mean, he, he wanted to nationalise your you ask people now. I mean, that's more or less happened. Most people go, well, gee, that's a good idea. Nationalising utilities. I mean, you know, we're looking at uh, how that's working out, having not done that. Uh, you know, the ideas like, for example, you know, by uh, by privatising it, we lost a huge amount of gas reserves, for example, because it was just too expensive to maintain. Uh, and uh, and then, you know, he was all for green energy, meeting emissions targets. So he was against fracking, which I suspect a lot of people uh, will come up against Liz Trust for. You know, they talked about levelling up. It was actually in the Labour manifesto. I'm not sure whether they coined the, the, the term before uh, the Tories did or not. I mean, you know, on the surface, some of those seemed radical at the time, but now less radical. And, and as you're saying, if they're looking for being a bit more radical, there are things that Corbyn was standing for that maybe the Labour Party should be uh, having another crack at. I don't disagree. Um, the problem is it's all about the window dressing. If you go back to the 97 election and Tony Blair's famous five pledge cards you know, five pledges on his little pledge card, which is a great piece of political marketing, they were all pretty radical. In fact, um, the problem with Corbyn, the problem with John McDonnell, the problem with that, manif that manifesto in 2019 was it was a massive, overly huge document with too many promises in it. Yeah. Um, was not priced properly. But if you now argued, and you didn't call it Corbynism, you said... It's reality. The reality is that you have to look at the energy companies. The reality is that you have to look at management of water because climate change means that we're facing both drought and flooding. And there have been massive profits made by water companies. The reality is that you have to look at other radical and different solutions. 
I think Labour's perfectly, I mean, mm. I actually think that's exactly what Labour should be thinking about now. What you do is you don't dress it up as, as being a leftist strategy. You say it is a radical set of solutions for the modern age. Yeah. It's and all about the window dressing. And Corbyn never understood that window dressing. Yeah, and, and all of that's been handed to them on a plate in a way because no one's going to dispute any of those things. You know, we've seen the, the consequences. But can, if Labour were to say, yes, this is reality, and by the way, when are you going to start uh, advising them? Uh, this is, uh, can, can they do it uh, with, the, uh, with the leader they've got now? I mean, is he, is he up to the, well, up you to know, the job? You know, one of the, I mean, I, mean I, I, I do talk to members of the Shadow Cabinet quite a lot though, and, um, and, and involved in the sort, of, sort of things I'm actually directly involved and interested in I, I do give quite a lot of uh, an opinion to them about what I think um, whether that has any effect I think it's completely open is that completely questionable I mean I think the question about Keir Starmer personally is and I, I mean and I think in some ways the jury is still out on this is you know he's clearly a man of, of great uh, competence he's clearly a man who's a, a man who, who believes in his mission um, his ability to present that as a for uh, in, in in a political sense, I think, is the big question mark about it. And in some ways, you know, he came to politics very late. Um, his ability to, uh, to articulate, you know, his belief, his ability to actually articulate against Boris Johnson, who clearly was, you know, an incredibly difficult moving target. I think that was questionable, but he's now up against Liz Truss. And I have to say, having, having uh, just seen Liz Truss on a public platform, I mean, her degree of being wooden mm. makes even Keir Starmer look as though at least he's more, well, what can we say, flexible. Yeah. I mean, you've now Credi- got- you Credible is probably the word, isn't it? Well, yeah. I think his credibility was always reasonably high. Yeah. I think his ability to sell himself has always been- you know, much more that of a barrister than of a politician. Mm. But now he's up against Liz Truss. And actually, if he can't really win against Liz Truss in terms of the public understanding his virtue, well, then he shouldn't be in the game. Well, I think, I mean, I think that's right. I mean, if we find that, uh, you know, that Liz Truss wins the next election and Labour doesn't get a, a, a good vote against her, then uh, we may as well try autocracy. We may as well give President Xi a call and well, say, can you tell us how it's but, done? But you, what you said there about, about how uh, Labour has a reasonable outcome, because I wanted to pick up on that, because that's the thing. It's possible that Labour may do quite well. They might even get a majority uh, of MPs, but perhaps not enough for an absolute majority in the House. And then the question, which is always used in elections as a way to beat the Labour Party, is how far would they get into bed with the SNP or uh, the Lib Dems? I mean, Let us look at the maths. But, you know, you know something. I mean, I just want to sort of query slightly the tone in which you asked that question. <laughs> For Labour to even become a minority government, it's going to have to win 60 to 80 seats on top of what it has now, even to get within even with the Lib Dems and some sort of working understanding with the SNP, that's the bare minimum. And that is, in order to win a parliamentary majority, Starmer has to do better than Tony Blair did in 97. In other words, he'd have to do better than anyone's ever done. It's pretty startling, isn't it, really? I mean, I mean, so this idea that somehow the opinion polls tell us he's going to win a majority, I think that is a deeply, deeply, deeply dubious proposition. I think um, it is very difficult if you just look at the political map to see how Labour is going to pick up many more seats in Scotland. And without Scotland, Labour has never won a general election. So there's, that's that problem. 
Um, another issue is, you know, how well do the Lib Dems do against the Tories in the southeast and southwest? Because if they win, the Lib Dems go from their current, whatever it is, 11 seats to 30 or 40. That obviously makes a huge inroads into the Conservative majority. So fundamentally, you know, for Keir Starmer to win an overall majority, that would be an enormous, extraordinary achievement. Mm. And one that, you know, personally, I think is quite difficult for him to do. If he got up, Labour up to 280, 290 seats, the Lib Dems won 20 or 30, then you're talking about a working parliamentary majority. Anything beneath that, you certainly have to have an alliance of some form or a parliamentary working understanding with the SNP. Well, you can have a confidence and supply, I mean, because the Lib Dems are going to be very wary about going into coalition of any kind anyway, for historical right. reasons. Um I mean, that could be a way forward. Would, would Labour be a, would Labour, as it is currently constituted, be willing to contemplate that? Yes, I've no doubt at all that getting in as a minority government, in the way that Harold Wilson did in 1974, and then calling a general election again six months later, actually getting the keys to Downing Street. Mm. at a time of major economic crisis is absolutely what Labour should you know, want to do. Can actually play in their favour as well, couldn't it? Because the, the uh, Lib Dems could be there saying, uh, you know, well, we're all for backtracking on uh, on Brexit and Labour can uh, blame, isolate, them. Uh, blame them, isolate themselves from it. But well, so, yeah, I yeah, don't could... think Brexit would be in a minority government. I don't think Labour would tackle Brexit, but I think I think there would be enough to do. And, yeah. and the truth is, uh, after what, you know, if it's 2024, after... Uh, 14 years of what it would have been of conservative government mm. and four conservative prime ministers, I think late, the chances of getting into power would be absolutely mission critical. And the once you're in, you can then manage the politics of it mm. to call a general election quite quickly afterwards if you had to. Right, we're running out of time, but two very, very quick questions to finish with. What was it that Tony Blair did? Is the one thing that could be taken from the way uh, Tony Blair got into power that Labour could say, OK, we just need to repeat that? And and secondly, this weekend, are we going to get anything? Are we going to be underwhelmed? Is, is the words stronger together? We're going to be repeated 475 times and that's about it? Or will, will we be quite surprised? Tony Blair, I think, did three things, all of which this government, uh, Labour Party needs to do. He solidified a view of policy, radical policy, down to four or five things that were road tested as absolute priorities, education, education, education. But there were four others as well where he really rammed home what Labour was going to do. At the same time, he looked like a safe pair of hands and Gordon Brown looked like a very safe pair of hands as shadow chancellor. And I think that's absolutely critical. And the third thing, and I'm not sure that Keir Starmer will be able to do this, is they had great political charisma. I think, actually, the political charisma problem is a big problem. But the other two, Labour can certainly do now and borrow from new Labour. In terms of what we'll see this weekend, I think, I hope, as somebody who sat through the conference speech in the conference hall last time, and probably will this time, the speech is a bit shorter the speech is a bit sharper. We hear less about Kistama's personal background and more about the future, more about the vision, more about them mm. beginning to show that he's got it. Um, yeah. Now, whether we'll see that from not just him, but from members of his shadow cabinet, I think is an open question at the moment. I, I think they have to start showing it very soon. The vision thing, and we've heard that one before, uh, right. but it is it is right. crucial. David, thank you so much for being with us. That was excellent, fascinating insights into Labour, and have fun in Liverpool. David, thank you. Thank you very much.
good to talk to you. Bye. Do you know, I feel like we could have uh, talked forever about that. So many questions about it. Fascinating, isn't it? But, he, but he, I don't know, you just, don't you feel like you just want to shake Kia Starmer and just say, for God's sake, <laughs> man, 40, just get volts some, him. get some oomph, get some ideas. But that yeah. idea that, you know, you, you the old-fashioned notion, you've just got to have a manifesto and you've just got to stay yeah. what it is. But, of course, you know, they'll say it's too early it's to It's the that. vision thing. You've got to have vision and charisma. Those are the two things that seem to come out of that, mm. which it's, well, we'll find out. We'll mm. find out how it goes. The question is, where do we go from here? I mean, how is Liz Trust going to do? Uh, how is she going to get us through this crisis that we are finding Well, that's ourselves- where we go from here, because next yeah. we're going to be talking about how to get Britain out of its economic doldrums. Now, we do know, or we will know in more detail very shortly, what the new Tory government is going to do, or yeah. says it's going to do. From quasi Quartang's uh, mini-budget, or what's it's, he calling it's, it? No, no, it's, it's a financial a- event. Yes. <laughs> But anyway, um, we'll get someone to talk about how realistic any of this is, because how far can you push the idea of radically cutting back on tax, Mm. um, cutting banker, allowing bankers bonuses to go where they wish, at the same time as spending big on making sure we all don't freeze this winter? Does it actually add up? Yeah. And uh, for let's not forget, you know, how all of this is affecting the pound as well. Mm. How how low can the pound go and how what's that going to do to inflation if we because we are net importer? If the pound is worth less, then the cost of imports goes up. That all adds to inflation, uh, you know. So it's there's a it's a complicated model economics. And how I'm not would, sure how would you sort this out? Well, I wouldn't start from here. Is the classic thing <laughs> exactly? Uh, but we have to, unfortunately, and uh, we'll look at all of that next week on the Y curve. The Y curve.